Mm-hmm. Well, good morning, church. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, today we're finishing up our series of messages that we are calling Without Love, Love Without. And this series really is an opportunity for us to take a look at our hearts because as people of God, we should be checking in on our hearts on a regular basis. Uh, that's the way, uh, the way that we do that is we bring our hearts to Jesus. We ask him to reveal things in us that are not of him, and we ask him to help bring, us bring those things in line with his word and his ways. And so this series of messages really is an invitation for a heart check. And in week one, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, and this is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And there are lots of practical lessons for us in this letter, uh, but we kind of zeroed in on something that really is a key component of how we walk out our faith. Paul basically says that in all we do in life, in all that we do for the cause of Christ, in all that we do for the church, in all that we do for the people that surround us, in everything that God has blessed us with and how those blessings spill out of us, then in all those things and more, that if we do them without love, we are nothing, we have nothing, and we gain nothing. Love is everything, and when we do things in love, it's powerful and it's life-changing. Without love, we're just making noise but when we are rooted and grounded in love, when a love is a part of who we are and not just how or why we do what we do, then we can express love in ways that make a difference and ways that bring life. And so in week two, we talked about one of those ways to express love, and that was how we can love without words. In 1 John 3, uh, it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And John is not saying that we should not love with words or speech, no, because the way that we speak, the words that we choose, the, the way that we choose to say those words should be in love, and we should speak those expressions of love because those are important as well. But what we say will be revealed as truth or as lies by our actions. It's in our actions that our love is revealed, and so that's how we love without words. And last week we talked about how we love without fear. As God's people, we should be living from a center of love, but so often we live from a center of fear. We have opportunities around us all the time to show love, to be people of love, to speak love, to build one another up in love, to love in big, over-the-top ways that don't even make sense to us, but we know that it's God that's prompting us to love that way. We have an endless amount of opportunities to be people of love, but so often when an opportunity arises, we push against it. We recognize that it takes effort and sacrifice, and sometimes we don't feel like it's worth it. And so we push back against those opportunities to be people of love, and instead, we choose our own comfort and our own timetable and our own preferences when it comes to love. And at the root of all of that is fear. And sometimes uh, what that fear really comes down to is this, that I'm afraid to extend myself to love someone else because I might not be loved like that in return. Not, not so much directly from the person uh, to whom you are extending love, but just like in general. Like I'm putting a lot of myself in this when I love like that. And my fear is that no one is going to love me like that in return. But you see, we have it backwards. <laughs> because the truth is we have already been loved like that. 
And when we love, we love from a place of fullness and not from a place of need. We don't extend love expecting a return on that investment. We extend love as a return on the investment that God uh, has already extended to us in love. We love because he first loved us. We don't love others hoping we can earn his love. We already have his love. We live in it. We can be centered in it. We can be filled to overflowing with it because it is all about him. We can love without fear in a world that teaches us to fear love. We can love without our love being dependent on how someone else responds to that love. We can love regardless of how we are treated in return. We can love without conditions, but we cannot do it without God. Because God is love, and we have already been loved perfectly, and perfect love casts out fear. And so that's how we can love without fear. But today I want to talk about how we can love without limits. And so our scripture passage for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. Scripture says this, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So let me give you a little bit of context on this passage. This chapter of Matthew 10 is basically an ordination sermon that Jesus preached when the 12 disciples were essentially elevated to apostles and they were sent out to do the work of ministry. Now, if we look at the end of Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus is going through all the towns and the villages. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and he's healing people. And he has compassion on these crowds of people, the scripture says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus says to the disciples these words, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so Jesus had stirred up the disciples and others to pray for workers. And here we have what seems to be an immediate answer to prayer. After all, uh, we should expect that what we pray for at the direction of Jesus would surely be given, yes? And so uh, God has provided the workers, and Jesus is preparing them to be sent out into the harvest field. And so he's commissioning them. He's giving them particular instructions about the work that they're going to be doing, how to conduct themselves as they minister. He's placing authority on them, and he's speaking to them about various trials and difficulties that they can expect as they minister. And so this passage uh, that we are looking at really is embedded in this sermon of ordination. And what I want to pull out from these verses is this. Number one, we are all called to be workers in the Lord's harvest field. So don't uh, turn off your ears because you think this is a sermon about working for Jesus. Trust me, this is a sermon for you. It's a sermon for all of us. And number two, when Jesus says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, he's not saying that you shouldn't love your father or mother or son or daughter more than me as much as he is saying that you won't be able to love your father or mother or son or daughter well if you don't love me most. In other words, God is love, and we can't love well without him. And when we love him most, 
when we let him be the source of love, when we find our worth and our identity in him, when we live with his love at the center of who we are, only then will we be able to love others well. Right, as we take up our cross daily, in other words, as we walk through this world and endure the difficulties of life and make the decision to live those things out in the presence of Jesus, listening to his words, seeking his counsel, walking by his principles, finding our hope and our truth and our life in him. As we do that daily, we find life. It's in the losing of our own way of doing things. It's in the letting go of our desire to reason things out in a way that we can somehow wrap our heads around instead of leaning into his ways and his truth and his life more and more uh, that we find more and more of life and we find more and more of it in him and through loving him most and living for him first we find the ability to love others well and to do love and to, to do well to others from that center of love. We love because he first loved us and when we love from the fullness of his love, we can love without limits. And I can tell you that it takes that kind of love to serve others, to be available to others, to minister to others, to help people know Jesus more. It takes that kind of of love, love without limits that come, comes only from truly knowing and living in God's love in very real and personal and powerful way. See, we cannot love others well without loving Jesus most. But when we love Jesus most, we can love without limits. And so uh, what does it look like to love without limits? Well, I think it looks a lot like loving without fear. I think it means that we don't withhold love because we're fearful of being hurt ourselves. I think it means that we trust God and we love hard. And when the pain comes, and it will come when you love like that, when the pain comes, we lean in a little more to Jesus and we find our strength to go on in him. You know, recently I've been thinking about Job. And if you're not familiar with Job, let me tell you a little bit about his story from the Bible. Uh, Job is described in scripture as a man that was blameless and upright, who feared God and shunned evil. In other words, he was doing a lot of things right. He was honoring God with his life. And Job had seven sons and three daughters, and scripture said he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east, the scripture says. Now Job's sons, well, they, they like to party. So they would often get together and they'd invite their three sisters to come over and eat and drink and party with them. And Job made it a regular custom to pray for all of his kids and to make the necessary provisions and arrangements uh, for them to go through the ritual of purification after they had all of these parties. And Job would make a point to offer sacrifices to God on their behalf. And he prayed for them thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And he wanted to do anything he could to somehow make that right. So Job is doing a lot of things right, and he's loving from the center of God's love for him, and he's living it out in, a, in the way that he loves his children and all the other people that God has placed in his life. 
And then one day, the bottom drops out of Job's life. And I don't even have the words to tell you what happened. I just have to read it to you from the word. Scripture says this. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Listen, <laughs> your worst day doesn't even compare to this day in Job's life. And scripture says this of Job's response. At this, Job got up, he tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Whew. As the story continues, Job is mourning and praising God. And as if things couldn't get any worse, suddenly he's afflicted with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And he's so miserable and he's so broken and things get so bad that he's actually taking broken pieces of pottery and scraping himself, seeking some kind of even temporary relief from his misery. And his friends are like, dude, how and why are you still even serving God through all this misery that he could have saved you from? And even Job's wife is like, will you just curse God and die already? Well, let me just say that those are not the kind of healthy people that you want in your life, right? That's not the kind of support we need. Anyway, as we read through the book of Job, it's chapter after chapter of dialogue between Job and the people in his life that should be offering comfort and support to him. And instead, they're accusing him and questioning him and wondering why he's so faithful to God. And Job even lashes out at God at one point in his frustration. And God does speak to Job about his anger and accusations. And for like five chapters, God is basically saying, Job, I know you think you have wisdom and understanding, but you really see just a small piece of wisdom and understanding. And you don't know what it takes to run the world. And God is kind of schooling him on all of that. But even more, he's helping Job to gain some perspective. And in the midst of it all, Job realizes just how big God is and just how tiny we, his people, really are. And Job cries out for mercy and grace. And in humility, he even prays for those friends who did nothing but give him additional grief through the process. 
Even in this agonizing pain, Job is seeking after God. Even in the midst of being angry with God, he's still pressing in, knowing that God is the source and the strength and that God is enough. And in the midst of his own difficulty, he is still filled with the love of God. That love without limits. And he cries out to God on behalf of these people in his life who have not been good to him, who have not loved him well, who have not treated him well, but still he is acting in love toward them. And from this point on in scripture, we're not given much detail of Job's life. And the scripture just kind of comes to an abrupt closing and it feels like uh, like a movie script that has given so much time and attention to the conversations between Job and his friends and Job and God. And now it's time to wrap it up. And, and so uh, they, they, they quickly tie up the loose ends, leaving you wondering and wanting more of the rich details that they have treated you to throughout this whole rest of the story. Uh, do you kind of know what I'm talking about, right? But uh, let me just tell you, get ready for a really abrupt ending to Job. Scripture says this. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 oak of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man full of years. Hmm. Here's what I want you to see. In all of this, Job lived his life from a center of love. And he chose to love without limits and without fear. He loved even when he was suffering. And I believe it's because of that love that he came through this horrible trial, being better able to love people. <clears throat> and the fact that God restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had had before should be an encouragement to us and a reminder that this too shall pass. That the difficult seasons, they come and they go, and the circumstances that surround us can change on a dime. In an instant, we can lose everything. And then just as suddenly, the seasons change again, and we walk the road of restoration. I believe that Job made the choice to love. He could have pushed back against the opportunities that God placed before him to love. He could have said, there is no way I am having any more children. The pain of losing them was so great, I can't go through that again. There's no way I'm going to invest in relationships again because my friends sure didn't do me any good when I was hurting. I'm not going to get too excited about all these blessings because I know in an instant they can be gone. I'm not going to set myself up for that kind of heartache again. Job could have taken that posture. But instead, I think we can speculate that Job embraced the opportunity to love again. And as he did, he found more love to give. Would there still be pain in his life? Absolutely. 
But the love that surrounded him and the love that was inside of him far outweighed the days of difficulty and heartache and grief. In my opinion, man, life in this world is difficult enough already. Why would we choose to push away love? Why would we choose to be even more miserable in the long term because we fear the pain in the short term? Why would we prefer to live in some measure of fear when we could live in the abundance of love without limits? You see, when we choose to withhold love because we're filled with fear, we are really acting selfishly as we try to avoid personal pain. Because it takes courage to love, and love is a choice. And without love, we have nothing, we are nothing, and we gain nothing. God is love, and love is everything. So church, your heart check for this week is to ask God to show you where you are pushing back against love. Where have you built a wall and said, nope, I refuse to open myself up again because I don't want to go through the pain of losing again. And so I'm building a wall around my heart and I'm not letting things or people in anymore. See, the temptation is there for all of us to do that because life hurts. And when we are hurting, when we are losing, when we are grieving, it is very tempting to build a wall. But that's not love. And we are called to choose love. God is love, and when we love him most, only then can we love well. Only then can we love without words, without fear, and without limits. Without love, it's all nothing. But with love, we can change the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for this day, for the opportunity that you've given us to, to come into this fellowship of faith, to come around your word, to look um, with, with new fresh eyes, a new perspective uh, of some of the stories that we've known and, and heard and listened to forever. But maybe we've never seen it this way before. God, we thank you that you are always teaching us. God, we thank you that you are always making new, that you are always restoring, that even in the midst of difficult times, that you are at work and you are making all things new. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to, uh, to, to not be afraid to confront the reality of what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, that when we find ourselves pushing back against love, that when we find ourselves building walls around our heart to protect us from uh, eventual pain and misery, God, that, that you would help us to recognize that and that you would give us the courage to choose love, knowing that when the pain does come, and it will, knowing when, the, when those difficult days do come, and they will, that you will still be enough. God, we thank you for your love, your love, which is beyond words and beyond fear and beyond limits and beyond anything we can ever even imagine in our humanity. We thank you for the glimpses of love that you give to us and the love that you fill up inside of us. God, may it be our prayer and our intention to be people of love every day in every way that you allow us to. God, we thank you and we praise you for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.